Good morning. I love prepared environments like that where these students get away and kind of away from all the distractions of the world and home and get to be focused on and loved on and share the word with and corporate worship together. It's in those prepared environments that you see God show up and do some amazing things. So that's been my prayer over this weekend is that God would just speak to them, plant seeds that will mature and flourish and that we'll see in the years to come in their lives. So are you glad to be here this morning? Amen. As David said, I want to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, and um, so we've been looking at just a few events that take place after the resurrection of Jesus. If the resurrection, as big of an event as it was, was like throwing a rock into the water, you have this huge splash. It was a big deal. Uh, but after the big splash, there's these ripples that just carry on, and, and that's what we're looking at is some of these after Easter um, ripples, if you will, or events. And so last week, we looked at the restoration of Peter, and I love that, that it's included in there, uh, because what we learn from that is that failure is not fatal, um, and that God is in the business of restoring people who screw up big time, amen? Uh, and so that's a big one um, post-Easter. Today is also a huge one, and it's Jesus commissioning his disciples to go out and make uh, disciples, And so Acts chapter 1, um, we're going to begin by reading it, and we'll say a quick prayer. And when we pray this morning, will you all just be in agreement with me and pray for rain? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a percentage, and there's a chance. And I noticed the chance went down a little bit um, as the day goes on. But I'm always reminded of the story, and I think it's Elijah, who, who sent the servant out, and he says, Go see if there's a cloud yet. Nope, not yet. And he sends him out again. And after the third time or so, he says, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. That's good enough for God, amen? Because if you read the rest of the story, it flooded and, and God sent the rain. And so our prayer is that no matter what the percentage is, that God will send the rain. We desperately, desperately uh, need it uh, on our ground, amen? So let's read the passage, Acts chapter 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Then he talked to them about the kingdom of heaven. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? They've been asking this several times, right? So is the time come? And he says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing there staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken up from you into heaven, but someday, someday, praise God, he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that in this moment, in this time, that we would just remove distractions from our hearts and our minds, and we would focus in on you. It's a special time we get to meet with you through your word. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to what you might want to encourage, inspire, challenge us um, to do um, today 
And Lord, I humble myself. I'm just a, a vessel. God, I ask that you'll use me to communicate well today. And Lord, we do ask for rain. We know that you're the one that's in control of it all. Um, we know that there'll be no clouds in the sky at all, and you can send the rain. There's nothing too difficult for you. And you know our need, and you've heard our prayers um, regularly asking you for rain. And God, I pray that today um, is a day you'll send some rain. Lord, we, we need it, and we know that you're the one that provides. And we just say thank you in advance, because we know in your perfect time uh, you'll give us what we need. And so, Lord, would you please, in the name of Jesus, send some rain, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the title of the message is Sent. As I said, we're focusing on the commissioning of the disciples. And so I want you to imagine for a moment that you, you're at work, you're doing your job, and all of a sudden someone approaches you and says, hey, listen, I want you to join my team. I mean, I know you get this job, but I want you to join my team, and I'm going to start something new. It's revolutionary. It's this new movement, this new organization that I'm going to build, and I want you to come be on my team. And so you just leave your job right there, and you start following this person. He's very influential, very uh, persuasive, and you start joining him on this journey. And he's training you. He's equipping you in this new um, this newfound, you know, whatever he's this new way he's doing, this new thing. So he's training you, and you're living life with him. You're eating with him. You're staying where he stays. You're watching him teach, and you're amazed because, man, this guy's so smart. He's got it all figured out, and um, you, you enjoy the journey. you got some highs. you got some lows. And then at some point in that journey, after he's trained you a while, um, he's standing before you, and then he says, okay, listen, what we've been doing here on a small scale, um, I'm about to leave you guys for a while, and I'm going to be gone for an undisclosed amount of time. And I will return, but while I'm gone, I've got a job for you. And then he looks at you and he says, I want you to take what we've been doing in this small scale and I want you to blow it up. I want you to take this, this business, this organization, if you will, and I want you to expand it beyond this little area to a bigger region and, and so on and so forth until eventually it goes all across the world. Hey, but don't worry, though I'm leaving you, I'll be with you in spirit. And then a car pulls up, he jumps in it, and phew, he goes. How would you feel if you were on that team? Uh, that's a pretty huge task, isn't it? I mean, we've been doing it on a small scale. Now he's leaving and he's saying, hey, you're in charge and I want you to take it globally. I would feel a little overwhelmed. I would feel underprepared. I would feel like I'm not worthy. There would be a lot of things going around in my mind. Well, here's another way. What if you're the one in charge? Who would you choose for that team? Who, who would you choose to be on your team to take this thing global? Whatever it is. The way my mind works is something of that large of a scale is going to require the best of the best. I'm going to look for somebody who's good with logistics, somebody who's good with um, sales and, and, and just relational things. I mean, I'm going to look at a bunch of different elements, and you're not going to just pick any average, ordinary person. You want the very best if it's going to be successful. Amen? Are you following me? So when, in a nutshell, this is exactly what Jesus did with the 12 disciples. So Jesus shows up on the scene. After his temptation in the wilderness, he goes to a lake in the Sea of Galilee, and he sees the sons of Zebedee there fishing, James and John. And then he sees Peter and Andrew. Later, he sees a man named Matthew, who's a tax collector. And he goes to these guys, and he says, hey, put down your nets and follow me. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to show you how to fish for men. Huh, okay. So it says they put their nets down, and they started following him. And they were amazed at his teaching. Sometimes his teaching were over their head, and he had to come to them privately, and they say, hey, what did you mean? And he would, he would explain his little parables, and so they listened to his teachings. They watched him in real time as he showed them the principles of the kingdom, changing people's lives, healing people, raising people from the dead. They experienced some emotional highs, didn't they? 
And then they experience the lowest of lows when their teacher, this one that they had been following for three years, is arrested, crucified, and buried in a tomb. But three days later, we celebrated a couple weeks ago that Jesus is alive. He comes out of the tomb, and they have the highest of highs. They've never been this high before. They're like, this is awesome. He's back. And we're going to get started again, right? And so it says that Jesus is hanging out for about 40 days. He showed himself to many people and proved in many different ways that he was actually alive. Last week, we looked at the section of Peter when he's restoring him. He says the disciples didn't dare ask him who he was because they knew it was Jesus. And so they're like, let's, let's get it going, right? And so Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he stops and he says, I've got a job for you to do. You guys, I want you to take this message of the gospel that we've, you've learned and you've been watching. I've been discipling you, and now I want you guys to go and make disciples. That is precisely what happened and what we see in the book of Acts, like a history book, records the birth of the church and the early growth of the church. And the book of Acts covers about 32 years of history. That's it. About 32 years of history um, is covered in the book of Acts. And I, my mind is just like blown away at how wildly successful these 12 disciples were in the Great Commission. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, how powerful and effective these guys were in their um, obedience to this commission of Christ. In addition to just being obedient, they faced persecution. Many of the disciples would die a martyr's death because they were just so obedient to what Christ called them to. They could have easily said, no, 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 this is too hard. The message is too difficult or too much at stake. I'm done. And, but they didn't. They died a martyr's death because they were so committed to the spreading of the gospel, and they were wildly successful. It just blows my mind. And you consider the ripple effect and like how that covers just 32 years, but through the centuries we've seen the church grow and grow and grow. And here you are today, here I am today in Canyon, Texas, so far from the original starting point, right? From Jerusalem, so far removed, and you and I are also recipients of their obedience. Isn't that cool? I mean, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you heard the good news, the message, and you become a disciple, and you're growing, hopefully, in your faith. And so you're a part of their work. It just blows my mind. And so here's what we learn in the Gospels and in the, in the book of Acts here is that God calls and equips nobodies. God calls and equips ordinary people as they just live their lives to grow the church through discipleship. We see it over and over again. So we're looking at this story here in Jesus, Matthew chapter 24, excuse me, 28. He stands before them. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, to his disciples, he says, go. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands that I have Given to you, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus' commissioning of the disciples. Acts chapter 1 is a transition, also written by Luke. He begins to show from the moment Jesus is ascended into heaven, and once again we have this command that they're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be his witnesses. And we see this unfold throughout the book 
of Acts. And something interesting about this, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but it's almost as though Luke took verse 8 of Acts, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's almost like he used that as a table of contents for the book. Because if you're following the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 7 is focused on Jerusalem. That's where they get started. They're preaching, they're teaching. And then there's a transition in chapter 8 where the first martyr, Stephen, it pushes them away and they go to the region of Judea and Samaria. And so they're now taking the gospel to that area. And after chapter 9, we see a transition again where Cornelius and, and Paul comes on the scene. And now we start hearing about mission trips that are going abroad and for them to the ends of the earth. And so for them in their time, Rome was like We've been everywhere once we've been to Rome. And so chapter 1 begins with the ascension of Jesus. His commissioning of the disciples, chapter 28, ends with Paul in a Roman prison. And you better believe he's still preaching the gospel even there. It's just so powerful, right? And so I want us to look at three observations and two promises as we consider disciple makers and discipleship. And I know that there's some misunderstanding sometimes of whose role it is. And sometimes we put this off on the churches, right? The church has a missions program. We have a missions program. We do a lot of really cool stuff in missions. I want to share some of that with you soon, just some of the things that we're doing that you may not even know about. But we do that regularly. We hear people that say, hey, God's called me to leave everything behind, just jump on a boat or a plane and go to a foreign country and just preach the gospel. And we limit missions to that, but it's so much more broad. It affects and involves every one of us today, this morning, right? So three observations quickly about discipleship, making, and discipleship. And the first one is, disciple makers are ordinary people. Go back again to who was involved at the very beginning. You got these disciples that Jesus is approaching on the, the, the we don't know what all of them did, but we know about half of them were fishermen. Stinky, smelly fishermen. No offense to the fishermen in the room, but if you lived there and that's all you did for a job, you'd stink, Right? So Jesus approaches these guys, and he says, hey, put down your nets and follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for men. And they do it, and um, he, t- he goes to Matthew, who's the tax collector, and says, hey, follow me. And so this IRS dude now is you know, our equivalent. He's leaving his job, and he's following Jesus. And I just can't help but think, like, if you're going to take something this huge, this task that is so large, and you're going to be effective at it, and you tell me you're going to go to the lake to pick up the guys that are going to help you do it? I'm like, that's absurd. That's crazy. Wouldn't you say the same thing? Could you imagine going before an advisory council and saying, hey, I've got this idea. It's going to revolutionize the world. I mean, we're going to just blow this thing up, and I'm super excited. And I'm going to go down to the lake, and I'm going to pick a few guys to help me get it done. Your advisor would be like, you are out of your ever-loving mind. Right? That's the way we think. But we see in the scriptures throughout scripture that God uses just ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And the same is true when it comes to the commission. Jesus chose these ordinary fishermen, these everyday nobodies, to turn the world upside down. And I find great encouragement in that because if he can use them, he can use me, he can use you as well, right? So what does Paul say about that? I love this. Paul talking about this, he says, since... God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for the signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. 
So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And listen to this. The foolish, this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of humans' plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. See, God is in the habit of taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things with them, and as a result, none of us can brag about it. Like, of course he chose me. I was awesome at it. But he chooses nobodies, and he turns the world upside down through nobodies, just ordinary people who are willing to be obedient to what he calls them to do. And I just think it's a brilliant plan from God's perspective. Humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense at all. Just like I wouldn't start a business and want it to go global by not choosing the right people, Jesus chose the ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I don't know about you, but I get great encouragement from that. That he uses just everyday, ordinary people. That's number one. A second observation is discipleship, and this is important, is a lifestyle, not an event. As I said a moment ago, and in Matthew we have the, the Great Commission um, and in that, um, I, I want to remind us that it's not an event that we do. So we go on a, a mission trip, an event, and uh, maybe something's coming up in the church. We're going to work toward this one goal, and it's an event. We put it on a calendar, we do it, and then it's done. For the, disciples, for the disciples that were commissioned early on, it was their life. It was wherever they would go, they found themselves in a position to make Disciples. In fact, some scholars take that word go, therefore go, and, and they say that the way it is written in the Greek, it literally means going or as you're going. So it looks like this. Hey, as you're going about life, as you're doing whatever it is that you do in life, as you go, make disciples, right? So you see, it's not an event, but it's a lifestyle. And so if you've responded to the gospel, and if you yourself are a disciple, then you and I have a role to also make disciples. And it seems overwhelming. We're thinking, man, I just don't know if I, I can do all this. Well, I'm encouraged. I'll share another one in a moment uh, that God, God takes into account for all of that. But he uses ordinary people, and we need to know it's a lifestyle, not an event. So as we are going, and so consider what you do. Like for me, I'm in the pulpit teaching the Word of God, and, and this is something that I feel passionate about, called to do. Now, it's not easy to do, but it's what I've been called to do. Not everybody's been called to do this. Not everybody's been called to get uh, a, a, on a plane and go across the world and be a missionary. But we're all called by God to share the good news, to spread the good news, right? And so stay-at-home mom. You're like, well, how does this look for me? Oh, it's awesome. You got those little minds of mush, those little kids that are very impressionable, and you and I have this opportunity regularly to teach them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Are you following me? So we can make disciples as parents. Some of you may be doing it, not even knowing that you're doing it. Here's what to make disciples means. Uh, 
Mathetevo is the Greek word, but it means to initiate or instruct a disciple in the ways or teachings of a specific leader or teacher. And so as a parent, you know, you just sit down and have conversations with your kids, and you just transition it to the spiritual. You're like, hey, this is why we do this. This is why what God's Word says, and that's why we respond this way. And this is how you handle conflict, and this is why we go to church. This is why we serve, and just so on and so forth. So the stay-at-home mom, the, the mechanic at the workplace, I mean, I, I can imagine covered in grease, with, with, I'm getting older, and so I'm knocking the skin off of me very easily now, and I bleed really bad. And I'm like, I can imagine just in that environment saying, how could God possibly use this? And the, the thing is, is he can in a powerful way because there may be people that you come into contact with there that I may never, ever, ever meet, right? And so in your role, in your job, whatever that job may be, no, it's, it's a lifestyle and not an event. So as you are going, as you're going through your work, as you're going to school, as you're just going about your daily life, make disciples. School teachers, same thing. I love the heart of a school teacher because they're in a position um, where they have a lot of time with their students. And, you know, I, I have some fond memories of some of the ones that I was taught by early on. I didn't appreciate them at the time, but I do now. And I think what a powerful opportunity we have in that moment to pour into and inspire our children. But discipleship is a lifestyle and not an event, and it includes us all. So ordinary people, a lifestyle, not an event. And thirdly, and this is the thing I like, disciple makers are equipped for the task. Now, notice in Acts, we read that a moment ago, as Jesus is talking to them, he's risen from the grave, he's alive, he's proved many different times that he's alive, and they're stoked. Jesus is back, right? What are we going to do next, Jesus? Are you going to now restore the kingdom? And they're just ready. Jesus, what are you going to do now? And Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem. He's like, hey, I want you to go do this mission, but wait. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised. What was the gift he promised? The Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, 16. Jesus promises another advocate, another helper that's going to assist them um, in their journey. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, and this is, I think, the theme of the whole book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And so he's not going to ask us, to do something that he's not going to equip us with what we need to do the task. I learned this early on in ministry. I just remember thinking, God, if you're crazy enough to ask me to do something, you're going to have to fill my cup because I don't know what I'm doing. And in fact, I remember a couple of different job opportunities where I said, I am not qualified for this job. I mean, all the questions they would ask, nope, nope, nope. And, and I would think that they would probably turn me away because I'm not qualified. But my attitude and response was always this. If God has called me to it, he will equip me with whatever I need to do the job. Man, and I'm a living testimony to that fact and that truth that God equips us to whatever he has called us to do. And I, and I just believe it with all my heart. And I know that is a truth that he doesn't ask us to do something. He's not going to equip us to be able to do it. So we are equipped for the task. We, if you've placed your faith in Christ, have another advocate, a helper that lives in you, the Holy Spirit of God. And here's what he says. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment of God. 
And he says he won't speak on his own, but he's going to bring me glory by repeating what I say. So although Jesus is physically gone, it's like I am with you in spirit. He is through the spirit. He guides us and he directs us. How cool is that? And so Jesus says, you're not alone. You've got a helper in this journey of life. And as you're making disciples, I'm going to come alongside you through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to guide you. And you're going to have power to be my witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who sees something and then just explains what they saw. Right? It's just like, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have it all figured out. You can simply say, listen, I just know who I was before and who I am now. He's changed my life. That's a witness. And so we know that he equips us to be able to do this. So he uses ordinary people. It's a lifestyle, not an event. And we are equipped for the task. Are you with me so far? Now here's two promises. And this is one of the cool ones. The first time the word church is mentioned um, is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And it's this dialogue between Peter and Jesus. And he's asking, who do men say I am? who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the, the Messiah, the living God, or whatever he said. And Jesus said, yeah, and that's right. And you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, this new idea, this new movement, this new organization. I'm going to build my church on this truth of who I am, the Messiah, not on Peter being the rock. Some wrongly teach that. But he's like, on this truth that I am the Messiah, the Son of God, we're going to build the church. And listen to this, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How cool is that? Jesus is saying, hey, I'm leaving. I'll, I'll be gone for a while, but I'm coming back. While I'm gone, I'm leaving you to a very important task, and you can't fail. It's going to be successful. Yes, there will be people that will fight it. Yes, there will be people that will reject it, but there are going to be a lot of people who believe it. How many of you know that today, 2,000-plus years removed, the church has been wildly successful? And to think that it all started with this motley crew of 12 people, ordinary people. And, and you know, here's the encouragement. I believe he's still in the business of doing the same. And so every day as the, the gospel is proclaimed or as relationships are um, initiated and, and we just do life, people are growing and they're becoming disciples and we're growing in our discipleship. And I think it's just a beautiful thing to know that we're on a winning team. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church can't be shut down. It's like when Jesus died and when he rose again, he had all authority and no longer death had dominion. And because of that, all those that belong to him, they're free as well. And it's like our job is almost easy. It's like saying, hey, listen, don't you know that the, the cell doors are now open and you're free in Jesus' name? Really? Yeah, what do I got to do? Nothing. He did it all. And you're free. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news, right? So the promise to know that the gates of hell will not prevail, oh, it'll push back. And there'll be small battles along the way that we may feel like we're losing, but overall, I just want you to know that the church will stand. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Another promise that is encouraging to me is, in the end of the, the commission in Matthew 28, says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the, the end of the age. How many know that he's with us today? Now, we don't physically have him here. And actually, we'll look at that um, the next time we, I think we'll do Mother's Day next week. But the next time we get together, we'll talk about the significance of the ascension and what it means for us. And um, it's a good thing that he's not physically with us here. It'd be cool. I mean, who wouldn't want to chill with Jesus, like in the flesh? That'd be awesome, right? 
The problem with that is in the flesh, he's limited to time and space, right? I mean, he's, he knows all things, but he limited himself in certain areas. And so because he's gone, we have his presence in us. And he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have his presence and his power as disciples to go make a difference and impact the world. How cool is that? And to think it started with 12 guys. My mind is just blown. So the question is, is what is our part? What is your part? What is God calling you to do? What's your next step? I'll ask you like this. What is your Jerusalem? Where would he want you in a mission field? Not in a foreign soil, but your area of influence. I'll give you a quote that somebody gave me years ago, and it just made a huge impact on me, and that's this. God is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Like sometimes we, we're waiting for God to show us everything, like show me how it's all going to turn out. And he's like, no, no, I just need you to, to take that step of faith and be obedient to what I've called you to do, and I'm going to be on the other side ready to give you everything you need to be successful at it. So God is waiting on the other side of our obedience. Another one that I love is where the finger of God points, the hand of God provides the way, Right? He provides the resources. He equips us. He says he'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. So Romans chapter 8, Paul again says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Let me make sure I'm in the right spot. No, I'm in the wrong spot. Chapter 10. That's a good one too. But we don't have time to go through that one right now. So chapter 10. Um, if we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. That's good news, right? That's the essence of the gospel. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross, was raised again on the third day, he says, if you believe, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone, say someone, unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent that is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who hear his commission and say, here I am, Lord, send me. How will they know unless they hear? And perhaps God's calling us to be his messenger. And he says, how beautiful it is, the feet of those who bring good news. The reality is, my little illustration at the beginning, imagine that you're approached and you're invited to be a part of a team. It's true. You and I, through the gospel, have been made a part of the team of Christ. And he's the head of Christ. I mean, he's the head, right, of the team. And he's, he's awesome that way, right? His ways are perfect. We may not understand them, but we know he's in charge. And we're a part of this team, and he's called each one of us, just like the disciples that he's commissioned. Well, when you look at it from a historical standpoint, it was a literal thing that he told them to do. But until he returns, that mission is still going, and there's still people who need to hear the good news and respond to the good news. And that brings us to our part. And what does it look like for us? Who is it that God has called us to disciple? I mean, Shane, we 
It's just, I don't think I know what to do. Like, we already covered that. He uses ordinary people. He equips you with what you need. It's a lifestyle. It's just as you're going. When we get over those hurdles and say, all right, God, if you can use anybody, use me. Who do you want me to impact? Let me give you a couple things to consider on the how. So start with an invitation. Invite someone into a conversation. I mean, we have these conversations every day at work, don't we? Or out in public, and we talk to people. Hey, how's the weather? Is it going to rain today? We, that's normal stuff. But invite them to a conversation where we can simply say, hey, you know, if you notice how the world's just going crazy lately, it got me to thinking. And then you just begin to engage them in conversation that turns it spiritual, and it gives you a perfect open door to just open that dialogue, invite them into a meaningful conversation um, with you. Invest one topic at a time. Someone has a question, figure it out, answer it. Get, get the answers yourself and go back to them. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've studied in the Word of God. But just invest in them a little at a time. And that's what we do with kids, right? We, we teach them at an early age, hey, we don't steal. Why not? What's wrong? Hey, we're not selfish. Or, hey, we don't repay evil for good. And we, we try to train them up one, one day at a time. We're investing in them. And I think the same thing is true. In whatever context we're in, we can always invest in somebody, right? How do you spell love? Someone said T-I-M-E. Time. We invest in them, and then we empower them to go do the same. So, hey, your life's been changed by the gospel. Be that agent of change for someone else. Think about it this way. There was a story I read about a guy from China who had cataracts. He couldn't see. He was blind, and so um, someone told him about a doctor, and he goes to the doctor, and, and that doctor removes these cataracts from his eyes, and now he can see. He leaves this little Christian mission um, where this happened. This doctor was there, and he goes home. And a, a couple days later, he returns. And this time, he's at the front of a rope, and he's walking. And along behind him was a trail of people from China, these Chinese people who are coming to this little mission, and they're following this man. And, and here's the thing. He didn't know how it happened. He couldn't explain the surgery. He couldn't explain all the intricacies of blindness and all that stuff. All he knew was, I was blind, and I went to this physician, and he opened my eyes so that I could see. And he told them, and they're like, we want that too. And, and so they followed this man. I think it's a beautiful picture of what I'm trying to explain. We don't have to have it all figured out, but we're just one person who's been changed by the gospel they're trying to lead other people that way and show them the way to life. And I can't imagine how bad it would be. If, just imagine for a moment that someone came to us and said, Hey, Shane, I've discovered the cure to cancer. I mean, this cure will fix it all. It doesn't matter what kind it is. It's going to eradicate cancer in your body. How many know that would be good news? Man, I, I've been longing for that because I get this cancer. I need, I need to be gone. And so you take it, and all of a sudden your life is completely healed and you're whole. And how bad would it be for us to say, that's good, and we just put it in a shelf and hide it to keep it from the rest of the world? You see, the world that we live in is infected with a sin disease, isn't it? And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so it's a death sentence. And you and I have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How cool is that? That this commission started over 2,000 years ago. is still going and still going. And through us, we've been made disciples. And we make disciples who make disciples. Who are discipling other people who make disciples. And you go on and on and on. till one day Christ returns. How amazing it would be to present to him 
the, the benefits of our obedience and say, hey, look, look what you did through a bunch of crazy, ordinary people. And I think at that point we'll just say, you know what, God, I can't take any credit but to you and you alone belong all the glory because your ways are not our ways. You're so much more powerful and more wise than we are. It's a brilliant, brilliant strategy. And that's why I think it's worthy of being included in one of these after the resurrection events of the Great Commission, the sending out of the disciples. Amen? We're also sent. And so I would say this. Hey, Shane, how do I know what I need to do? Just ask God. God, who is it in my life that you want me to reach out to? Who is it that you want me to connect with or to be intentional with, to invest in? And it may be in your own family. It may be somebody at work. It may be somebody um, in the community, some of these groups that you get involved in. God, who is it that you want me to make contact with? And, and just trust him that he opens doors and closes doors. And there have been times when I've prayed that prayer and you're just going through and something out of left field hits you and you're like, I didn't even expect that, but God, I just see this as your hand. What do you want me to do in this moment? And just be the vessels that he's called to be. Amen? Make it a difference. Changing lives because our lives have been changed. To God be the glory. So God calls and equips ordinary people as they're going through life to build his church through discipleship, one disciple at a time. Amen? Father, we thank you for the gospel. And I thank you that you didn't keep it bottled up in that little region in the Middle East. I was looking this morning on the map, about 30 miles wide by 90 miles deep, that everything we read in the gospels took place right there. How tragic it would be if you kept that bottled up there, but you didn't. You... You sent these disciples out on a mission and they were faithful and obedient to the spreading of the gospel. And today we are recipients of their obedience and Lord, we're bene we benefit from their work. And I just say thank you, God, that you included us too. Thank you that it, it has reached around to us and we've also heard the good news that saves us. And I pray, Lord, that you would take the fear out of our lives where we think we don't have it all figured out. We don't know what to do. But you would just help us to get serious about the time that we have left on this planet, to know that that life, uh, that time is so precious and so short, uh, that we would redeem the time and that you would show us what our place and our role is as we're doing life, how you want us to make disciples. And it may be just simply in the family, getting real with our children and saying, hey, listen, I just want to ha have a very important talk with you and just open up that conversation or whatever it is you know each one of us you know where we're at and what we need to to do and lord there may be somebody here today that's not placed their faith in you themselves and i pray that today will be the day that they trust you with their lives lord that you have saved them through the gospel they need only trust in you repent of their sins believe and they also can be counted among uh, those who are changed by the gospel lord for your glory and yours alone we ask that you be glorified today in jesus name amen